So I'm sat here in a pub in Brighton, Tuesday afternoon. This is how we do it with my good friend, Alex Ramsey. So mate, it's been a, a while since we caught up. It's been good to get you on the show. You're probably like my oldest friend in ticketing. I think so, Dave. We go back, so, don't we? Firstly, good afternoon. <laughs> and um, welcome. Welcome to the sunny seaside. I'm a bit disappointed we're not on the pier, on, on the mouse doing this live from the roller coaster, but hey, perhaps next time. <laughs> uh, right, so um, we should talk. So let's go. Lovely background music, by the way. I, call, I called ahead. <laughs> only plugged into my iTunes. Um, so like, how far back do we go? I remember like we used to go to England games together in the old Wembley. That's We've, the earliest memories I think I've got of our friendship. 100%, but if we take a step back from that day, you'll find our mums used to work together. Yeah, of course. In the old so, Wembley call centre. Ticketing runs through the family, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and the, the mantle, or Bocca printer, has been passed down to us now. <laughs> right, so um, let's talk about what you've been up to then. So you started out in the old Wembley like me. Absolutely. And what happened? So they knocked it down on us back in 2001. What yeah. happened then? Well, we were the last to leave, so we, we <laughs> did turn out the lights, as it were. But that was, um, without question, a monumental moment um, in my very early career there because we got to see a lot. I had a hand in not, not only working on the phones as a lowly operator, booking tickets, but then we worked many England games in we did. person. Yeah. With many feisty fans. We did. On a Wednesday few. night. Yeah. And some earlier World Cup qualifications and so on. <laughs> but um, no, since leaving then, I got into working on some part-time work at what was then Wembley, London. So, so Wembley then, after the stadium got knocked down, started doing ticketing for gigs, not only at Wembley Arena, yeah. but also further afield. So... I was then working on events such as Formula One Silverstone, but then lots of concerts at Wembley Arena. Yep. And that's when I really got exposed to live events proper and, and certainly the different, um, how do I say, different setups. So from Disney on Ice yeah. to concerts, to boxing, to snooker, to tweenies, you name it. <laughs> Whatever you could sell tickets to, I had a hand in. And um, I kind of semi-fell in love with that whole process of working from an inception, an idea as to what the event is, to building the prices, to getting it on sale, yeah. ultimately selling it out. And then yep. seeing, for me, the payoff has always been the end of the process where you see a packed venue of um, fans Enjoying the event. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So what do you think in all of the different um, types of events you've worked on? And like, if we fast forward after Wembley London, you've been involved in some pretty big tournaments as well. Uh, is there any that really stick out for you as like some of the most memorable of your career? Yeah, I think there's a few. One would be um, working for Live Nation for a good seven, eight years. Yeah. Um, and heading up. And working on the first ever wireless festival, which oh, okay. is at Hyde Park. Mm. So that's now quite an established brand. Um, and, and just being a part of a festival which never existed in Hyde Park, didn't do so well the first couple of years, but slowly built up traction yeah. and, and has become the, the festival it is now. Um, to Madonna, working mm -hmm. on a couple of her tours nice. and quite extensive tours. 
But those kind of exposures and um, events give you everything. You laugh, you cry. <laughs> Mainly the latter. Mainly the latter. But you go through that whole process. Yeah. And they really do toughen you up yeah, in terms yeah. of ticketing. And you get exposed to so much. But it's all about your reaction to the situations. Right. There's always a solution. And yeah. that, that's my mantra. There's always a solution. I'm never one to quibble, to get too bogged down in, in terms of how it happened. Yeah. The ifs, buts, would'ves, could'ves, should'ves, not interested. I'm all about, let's get it resolved, let's get it sorted, make sure we're back on track. Yeah. We have a steward's inquiry afterwards, if we so if you need to. Need to. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's certainly work towards putting it right going okay. forward. Um, that's music, and so that was a big part of my life. Mm. And then I took the leap of faith in 2010, some 10 years ago now, mm to work on the FIFA World Cup in South Africa. Mm. And um, first ever time it was brought to the African continent. Yep. So for me, the reasons to, to leave music, which was quite a daunting prospect at the time, was also quite an exciting one, to be part of something so prestigious. I'm a massive football fan, yeah. so to, to be a part of that, the World Cup doesn't get any bigger than that, was too good an offer to turn down. Mm -hmm. But that said, you're taking it to a country um, drenched in history, yeah. both good and bad politically, of course. They love football, but they've never had anything on this scale. Yeah. So um, the reasons not to have it there certainly outweigh the reasons to have it there. But unfortunately, um, those didn't make part of the decision making and it was all about Sepp Blatter get, being the first FIFA president to get there. Yeah. So he did. I was grateful because being a part of it again was just life-changing. Yeah, yeah. And um, you're dealing with something different then. It's not just about managing a football match. Mm. Um, it, it's about managing ticket inventory in a country where they don't, they're not used to doing it. And I'll never forget, one of my main jobs was um, working for one of the sponsors, Castrol and BP, and it was um, how do you arrange allocations to the locals that, that work for those companies in, in the region. So I said about calling banks. Right. That would be a good place to start. Yeah. It's a, it's a good, solid outfit. And I remember having a phone call with one of the heads, one of the main banks out there. He goes, see, the problem is here, Alex. I won't do the, the accent. <laughs> so the, the problem is, Alex, um, theft is a big issue here in our banks. In our banks. So we couldn't guarantee the safety of your tickets in their bank wow. where they house cash. So Where'd you go from there? That was quite, um, oh, that, I didn't expect that hurdle on call number one. But really, I was then forced to, to think of my feet. I contacted hotels. I hired in safes. Okay. I worked with local BP and Castrol head offices, and I made it work. But yeah. it's just, it was a logistical challenge that certainly wasn't part of... Um, the JD description, that's yeah, the, yeah. the job description, that's for sure. But again, there's always a solution and, and I found one. But being a part of that and, and that whole process and living out there for a chunk of time, which I did, was um, eye-opening. Yeah, okay. And so this is kind of goes back to, I think, some of the things we were chatting about before we started doing this. It, you, People often look at what we do as just, well, you know, tickets go on sale, you sell them, it's done, we sold out there's a load of other things that happen in the background and sometimes it's just about a bit of common sense and like you say thinking on your feet a bit and that's I think a, a 
big part of what we've learned over the years. I think it's fair to say, like how to you know know when someone's telling the truth or not, or Absolutely. having to think a little bit differently to get something done. For sure, and there's one thing I have learned. It's a great saying. It's it's common sense, but the sense is not common. It's not common at all. No. Far from it. And um, and and it's really weird. Um, you go to many organisations and institutions, and when you try and explain what you do. Uh, even if they have a ticketing um, area within their business, they don't hold it in high regard. Yeah. So it's always seen as, as a service provider, something that just happens by yeah. itself. Mm. Um, so we're always battling. Whenever I have conversations even now, or with whoever I meet and, and, and they're interested in what I do, I have to think about, A, who they are and, and how I pitch it to them, how, what level of understanding, yeah. what's the, the quintessential way of explaining it. And yes, we're a service provider, but it's far greater than that. And the, the, one of the USPs for me and, and, and how I try to get others involved in is being a part of that process. And as right. I've already said, of inception of talking about what the, what the challenge is, this is the event, this is what we want to do, and it's how we can figure out together and deliver it. Yeah. Okay. And that's what really appeals to me. Cool. And so if we go from the World Cup, London 2012. <laughs> 2012. Rugby 2015. Correct. So how do they differ or compare to what you then learned in South Africa? Well, it's, um, I did them in the wrong order because it, <laughs> in terms of grandiose, you go from the Olympics yeah. is, is the biggest, then Football World Cup, then Rugby World Cup. Right. So I was fortunate and very blessed to be a part of all three of those mm -hmm. at different times. But going into London 2012, I think um, your, your good self was involved in that as well. Yeah. Was without a doubt one of the biggest tests and challenges in my life. For sure, yeah. And, and the fact that it was on home soil yeah. made it even more special. Yeah, definitely. Because you think... We're here, we do events, we've done events, mm -hmm. we've done Euro 96 as well in this country, albeit that seems like a lifetime ago. That's the glory years, man, 96. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but we have the infrastructure, but yes, for the Olympics, not many people think about badminton, think about table tennis, think about judo, think Trampling about boxing, and wrestling and, shooting, yeah, yeah. all of these events, dis disciplines, need a venue. Mm -hmm. And whereas um, we've got venues to play these at, for an Olympics, you have to kind of condense all that and create that yep. Olympic part, which is your starting block. And yes, there was a purpose-built London Stadium, more of that later. <laughs> London Aquatics, um, the Velodrome, um, those kind of anchor points as your main jewels in a crown. You've got to build a whole host of temporary venues to host the other all of this. hundreds of other disciplines. And um, that was challenging because yeah. what you're doing is invariably... You're selling off a CAD plan. Yeah. So you're selling off a, a CAD plan which you entrust will be accurate, which will be correct, 100%, only for it to be built after you've sold all the sessions out and to find, wait a cotton picking minute, wasn't that vomit <laughs> supposed to be here? Why is it six seats across to the left or the right? How many conversations like that do we have in the oh, it, six months leading up to... If you, I mean, again, another saying of just, um, if you don't laugh, you're crying. It's just, I'm all out of tears by this point. <laughs> and um, you have to see the funny side of it because yeah. it, I like a challenge and I got, God knows I picked them. And, and with the Olympics, um, we had su such inexperience in terms of a team mm. um, and such a mountain to climb. 
and such pressure to do it because it was all about tickets. It, it, the headline news was all negative. It was all, I couldn't get tickets. Yeah. Um, poor old Cedric here who lives in a caravan up north just wanted to go to the 100-metre final and, and we, we stopped him to do that. His hero Usain Bolt. Yeah, and we, stopped we stopped him to do it, albeit he applied on a paper application. <laughs> we read it, but um, <laughs> he wasn't lucky that time. But... As you know, right up until the actual games and when they started themselves, it was all negative. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it was... When you get a call for you, from your mum asking you, what's this ticketing fiasco all about, son? You're are like, you not you too, mum. Not you too, mum. <laughs> You're getting stabbed left, right and centre. And um, it really gave us uh, more of an insight into the inner workings of the British media, which mm. You see every day, but until it affects you, you don't see it yeah. for what it is. And it was nasty, and we were very, it, it made us strong as a team yeah. because it, we kind of we, we were living in this bubble, this bubble, this kind of ecosystem within, whereby we knew what we had to do, we knew what we needed to do, but we just couldn't let the outside noise affect us yeah. and infiltrate us. I agree with that. And so, how would you say that differed to like a World Cup, for example? Because I guess in terms of magnitude, yes, the Olympics is probably a bit of a, a bigger, broader range of tournament. Did you find that what you've done had stood you in good stead for dealing with this? Or like you say, the effect of the British press, does that drastically change everything? Yes, it's different challenges. And the, the, the glaring one being that um, the Olympics was vastly public, publicly funded. Yeah, yeah. So by that being a, the, the main... FIFA will always bail out a nation, as mm. they did with South Africa, yep. as they did with many others before, and, and I'm sure those to come, where the country inevitably under-budgets it, runs out of money, and they just they call, in. and then the white knight comes in and, and makes it rain, and, and, and lo and behold, the tournament happens. Whereas with the Olympics, it was very publicly scrutinised because of that. Yep. There was constant questions of, how much is this going to cost us, really? And... Um, we're, we're, we're great at putting, we're great at building, building people up only to knock them down in this country. Um, there wasn't much building up for us. There was very much just stamping on. And so if you remember rightly, in, in terms of once the, the game started, we were praying for that gold medal yeah, for, yeah. for GB. Why? Because we knew as soon as that happened, the, uh, the narrative within the media would change and, and finally the spotlight and the pressure will be off us. Tickets are sold. Yeah. The, the sessions are sold out, and, and they were doing. We were doing well as a team, and as ticketing does go. But it was six days in, I think, yeah. that, that finally was it that happened. Late, was it? Six days in, wow. and my God, that was a weight that lifted. But um, look, we had loads of challenges, but we dealt with them. Mm. And me and certainly my experience in music, back to Wembley days and, and the World Cup before then, left me in good stead to be able to manage different situations and be reactive, mm. of which many of them happened. As I said, with, with, with the seating not working quite well as it did from, or transition from what it said on the CAD to reality. <laughs> but um, there's always a solution. Yeah, yeah. certainly found them. And then some of you went on to uh, the Rugby World Cup. Indeed. So you and Rich, Indeed. the dream team, Me and um, Sir, Sir Harris, Sir Richard the Harris's. <laughs> and um, no, we had, we had a, a great time. And, that also had its criticism because it's another major tournament in the UK, but it was you're, different. You're part of that golden, what was it, the golden decade? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and it own set of challenges in that yeah. you, you had these venues, 12 of them, eight of which were football stadiums. They were, yeah. So um, 
bread and butter is not rugby. Yep. And, and so, if anything, we were intrusion to their daily lives, even yeah, yeah. though they went through the process of putting their hands up and saying, yeah, pick me, pick me. And then, hello, it's me, um, Alex Gooden from Rugby or Cup. Sorry, who? Um, what's this got to do with my cup game that's happening this week? Um, so, we had to take a lot, of, take up a lot of slack and, and manage that from day dot, which, again, having um, both Football World Cup and Olympics under my belt by that stage, I was no stranger to doing, and I didn't shy away from it. I, yeah. I welcomed it, and I love going to venues and, and physically creating that manifest from scratch. Because until I've seen a venue, yeah. I don't believe the hype. No, no, that's it. And like we were talking about, you know, you've got to be in control of that. And I guess the big challenge is, particularly with these football venues, people know where they're going. They go there every week. They're sitting in the same seats, a lot of them. And this is something totally different. 100%. Your audience is different. The needs and the usage of the seats are different. And Absolutely. you've got to be in control of that. Yeah, and, and exactly right. The, the football crowd or rugby crowd, to a certain degree, they're on autopilot. And mm. they've never been questioned about where their seat is. If they get there, someone sat there, will be like, oh, budget made this and then let's make an extra room for little old me. Whereas this is different. You're yeah. bringing... Uh, by and large, an audience that's never been at that venue before has to get there, has to orientate themselves and knowing where food and beverage and, and toilets are and the rest of it, yeah. and where's their seat and, and make sure that that whole experience is not tarnished. And with the greatest of respect to all, all the, the many box office managers that I have dealt with, and, and certainly on this tour, on that tournament in 2015, they, um, as far as they're concerned, the piece of paper they sent me, fag packet mostly, which had the manifest on, was kosher. And um, not, not to be challenged. Whereas um, when I go there with a team, the first thing I do is cross-check that yeah, yeah. To, to the minutiae detail. There always are going to be errors and, and issues because that stadium's been there longer than we both have. Yeah, and it's um, a big and old seats, place. So. Yeah, come and go. So... But that's all, all about the control, and, and you've got to set out your stall with, with an event, whether it's a tournament, whether it's a one-off event, and be a part of that process from the start, yeah. right the way through and to the end. And take ownership of that, right? Because then you know that you can't blame anyone else yeah. but yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and as I've already said, I'm not a fond believer of finger-pointing. I have to, if I'm working on something, I have to understand how it all works and the history of it. Yeah. Okay. So let's fast forward today. What are you doing now? What's going what on? What am I doing now? Great question, Dave. Great question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My mum asked me that every day. Uh, no, um, so after Rugby World Cup finished, I set about with an ex-colleague of mine and yours, yeah. Andrew Falvey, and mm. we saw, he, he was at the time looking, he was migrating West Ham from the bowling ground to London Stadium, and mm. I had five of the 48 matches of Rugby World Cup happening at London Stadium, ah, okay. which wasn't built at the time. Obviously. But we sold it out five <laughs> times. Just make that work, Alex, right? Uh, no questions. Um, but we did. And, but what we collectively saw or had a challenge with was that venue in terms of not having an incumbent ticketing team. Right. West Ham have a box of it, but in terms of there's no one there to manage day-to-day -day or the answer venue type. And I've been involved in that stadium since 2012. And there's not a, an event that's happened there that I haven't at least had a conversation about. I've certainly been there. Okay. And the number of times I've been in there and physically counted those seats, I couldn't tell you. Not because I don't want to, Dave, you understand, but because I can't count that high. It's because we all secretly love it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been at least I, three I go years on my now. days off just to, you know, <laughs> double check and reminisce. Um, no, but so we saw a gap there in that. Um, 
we could do the ticketing for that for that venue. Yeah. And so we did. We, we set about our company, which is called Holistics. Mm-hmm. And, and um, the, the rationale behind that was um, giving an event owner an end-to-end service of ticketing. So right. from, again, which I've mentioned before, which I love, which is from inception, talking about what it is you want to achieve as an event owner, how you want to price it based on the production you may have, again, for sport or for music what you could generate as a bottom line income, but ultimately what's your kind of um, net capacity. And I yeah. love being part of that conversation right the way through to selling it out, um, managing that sales process, and then delivering it on the day with a team. Okay. And, um, I've always wanted to have a handle in that whole end-to-end process, and I've done that already by that point yeah. During Football World Cup, to a certain degree, Olympics, absolutely, on multiple disciplines, to Rugby World Cup, mm. the whole 48 matches. So I was no stranger to it. And I knew that that same logic and principle could be applied to a, a, a company and a business. Yeah. Great. So we did. So you did it. <laughs> uh, okay. And so how does that work then, sort of your typical kind of involvement, let's say, someone comes in, a concert promoter comes into the London Stadium. So where does that begin? Do you act as the venue or Absolutely. like the third party? or The, the venue um, very much use us as their ticketing department, right. mainly because at London Stadium, as a key client, they don't have a need for a ticketing department 12 months of a year yeah. because West Ham cohabiting that venue. And right. They're very much self-sufficient. That said, we do manage all the extracurricular events that happen outside of the West Ham calendar, and that is over a 12-month period because during the summer is where those events tend to happen, but we're already having conversations with event owners August, September time, and we're creating manifests for them based on what it is they want to achieve. We have a very um, strong voice, and that's based on our experience and respect within the industry and so they do listen to us they do take our uh, advice on board and we help them price it based on what works best best for that venue okay cool um so in terms of the future of ticketing we've been around for a while and i'm filming with some hope it's not just counting seats and stuffing envelopes please i hope so (laughs) what's coming down the line what are we going to be doing in the next five ten 15 years because I think it's moved on from you know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording this you know it's about marketing it's about CRM it's about more technical skills as well how do you think we're moving as an industry and the individuals I guess the skill sets needed for the future well once the droids take over I don't think there'll be much need for me and you <laughs> got to oversee the droids yeah absolutely <laughs> those droids don't charge themselves um no I, I very much see it going um, electronic. I know it already has started to. Yeah, yeah. But I am... Um, there's nothing I hate more than a, a manual process. Mm-hmm. Whether that's even a, a manifest on an Excel spreadsheet, um, whether it's counting tickets and other areas we talked about, simply because that's open to human error. Yeah, yeah. And I feel once you digitise things and, and have a library of manifests, a library of um, venues... And, and different formations for, for all of those, you can very rarely put a foot, foot wrong. Right. You're, you're manipulating and changing things, yes, but I think the more we can move away from individuals having a part in direct the movement of things, the better. Because okay. then you, you minimise that risk of there being an error 
but also you, you can start to get clever and follow algorithms and patterns of, of previous data. Yep. And, and data is certainly key now yeah. leading the charge in many areas. Okay, awesome. So if people want to find out more about Holistics, yep. where should they go? They can go to holistics.io, our website. Cool. They can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, my number's on there as well, and I'm happy to talk to anyone about anything. Anyone, anything. Just give you a call. Pick, pick, a, pick a subject. Just have a topic. chat. Yeah, I'll be there. Hold <laughs> my hands free. But no, um, I think it's an exciting time for ticketing, uh, not least because we've got um, a whole plethora still of events happening, both um, festivals, music, uh, world champs, and yeah. Commonwealth rather. There's still such an appetite for that industry. And um, even though the, the, the political kind of landscape that we, we're going through at the moment, people still need entertaining. Yeah. People still need that out, that kind of, that area to, to go in escapism, it's I guess. totally escapism. I mean, I remember, the, was it 2007, eight? There was, again, financial troubles and... I remember the terror being, attacks as well. Yeah, and we were worried about, you know, season ticket renewals at the time at Spurs and 100%, you know, people wouldn't give up their season ticket because that was their, their out. So, yeah, I totally buy into that. And we need it. Yeah. We're only here for a short time, so why not enjoy it? <laughs> so that means a Bocca printer? <laughs> Let them live on. Me. Absolutely, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you for joining me. And Very welcome, for Dave. Great background music as always. Good choice. I'll, I'll unplug my iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, mate. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been awesome as always. Absolute pleasure. And see you soon, Dave. Cool. Catch you soon. Take care. See ya. Bye.